You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. I don't know if you picked up on it yet. God loves people we don't love. And God help me. God help us to have more of his heart. For God so loved the world. He loves the Osama bin Ladens. He loves the Hitlers. He loves the Saddam Husseins. And he wants them to be saved. But the only way they can be saved is they repent and receive Christ. God hates sin. And because he is just, he can't allow it to go unpunished. Yet, as Pastor Danny will explain in today's message, even the worst of sinners, men and women that have committed horrific acts of violence or abuse against others, are loved by God. He desires to turn them around, just like Paul, the former persecutor and murderer of Christians. How would your life change if you started looking at the world with the extreme grace and compassion that God has for us? Now, here's Pastor Danny in Acts chapter 25 with today's edition of The Living Word. God said about Paul, the apostle, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings. The word is literally leaders, but it includes kings, so it doesn't have to be a technical king. Kings and to the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. God has divinely orchestrated the events of Paul's life at this point so that the words of that prophecy would be fulfilled. He is escorted by 470 elite Roman soldiers to Caesarea, and he stands before the first ruler of the Gentiles to testify for Jesus Christ. His name is Antonius Felix. Uh, We looked at him last week. He was a pagan. He lived a very immoral lifestyle. As Paul talked about faith in Christ and righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, our version says that Felix was afraid. That's really a poor translation. Another translation says Felix trembled. It's a strong Greek word translated, trembled. And so he's so moved by the word of God and the gospel about Jesus Christ and thinking about judgment to come. He knows he's not right with God, but he resists the Holy Spirit and for years uh, refuses to repent, and as far as we know, dies without a savior. His administration was such a failure that Nero, ruling at the time, removed him from his position, called him back to Rome. Nero replaced Felix uh, with Porcius Festus. We don't know a lot about Festus, but we know he inherited a load of trouble from Felix's misadministration. Chapter 25, verse 1, and let me just preface this with, there's a lot to cover today. Buckle your Bible seatbelts. 
stay alert. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me, and if the man has done anything wrong, they can press charges against him there. After spending eight or ten days with them, Festus went down to Caesarea. The next day he convened the court in order that Paul be brought before them. When Paul came in, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him. They brought many serious charges against him, but they could not prove them. Then Paul made his defense. I've done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, he's a politician, he's new in his position here, he wants to get in good with the Jews. So he said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? And Paul answered, remember Paul's a Roman citizen. He has rights as a Roman citizen. I'm now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I'm guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar, something every Roman citizen had the right to do. Well, you know that doesn't sit well with Festus because he has to honor Paul's request. And so he can't do a favor to the Jews by sending Paul to Jerusalem. After Festus had conferred with his council, he declared, you've appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. Short pause, the Caesar that Paul will eventually stand before is Caesar Nero. I don't know if you know anything historically about Caesar Nero. He was extremely extravagant. He was a tyrant. He was brutal. Among the many executions he ordered was one of his mother. He was accused of poisoning his stepbrother, Britannicus. It was rumored that he captured Christians, dipped them in oil, put them on poles to light his garden at night. Nero was ruling when the great fire of Rome broke out in 64 AD. And many believe that Nero was the one who actually set the fire, but nobody could prove it. Those that really believed he set the fire said he did it to make room for his expansion of his palatial mansion. A false report came in AD 68 that he was going to be executed as a public enemy. Not wanting to face execution, Nero, the first of the Roman emperors to do so on June 9th, AD 68, took his own life. And despite the witness of Christ that Paul would give before Nero, Nero refused to repent, and he died without a savior. Just another quick pause before we get back to the text. I have to read 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I urge then, first of all, the petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, for all those in authority, the Festuses, the Felixes, the Neros. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 
That's why God in his love for the world sent a witness like Paul to people like Festus and Felix and Nero. The most wicked king of the Old Testament, King Ahab, God sent more than one prophet to Ahab to confront him in his sin in hopes that he would repent and be forgiven and be saved. And then you know the story of Jonah and the whale. We don't know if it was a whale. That's what we say, though. It was a great fish. God's going to send Jonah to Nineveh. He doesn't want to go. So a whale or a big fish ends up swallowing Jonah. After the fish spits him out, he changes his mind. He goes to Nineveh, and the whole city of Ninevites gets saved. And Jonah sulks because God has forgiven Nineveh. He didn't want Ninevites to be forgiven because they are brutal enemies of Israel. They're wicked. I don't know if you picked up on it yet. God loves people we don't love. And God help me. God help us to have more of his heart. For God so loved the world. He loves the Osama bin Ladens. He loves the Hitlers. He loves the Saddam Husseins. And he wants them to be saved. But the only way they can be saved is if they repent and receive Christ. Back to the text. Festus, before sending Paul to stand before Caesar Nero, he has to write a formal accusation against him. He doesn't know what to write. But a timely visitor shows up, and he is very hopeful that this visitor is going to help him in what the accusation against Paul should be. Verse 13. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Now, we'll move a little faster in a minute, but one more pause from that verse. This is Herod Agrippa II. He's considered by Rome to be an authority on Jewish religion and Jewish custom. That is why Festus is so happy that he shows up. Herod Agrippa II is the seventh and final of the Herods. His great-grandfather, known as Herod the Great, He was the one who gave the order to have all the children two years old and under in Bethlehem killed. From the time two years before when he'd first heard about the birth of a king of the Jews. Well, he's king of the Jews. Nobody's going to take his throne. Agrippa II's father, Agrippa I, executed James. When he saw it pleased the Jews, he had Peter in prison. Intending to do the same to Peter, but God sent an angel, miraculously delivered Peter and saved his life. Agrippa I died in Caesarea after giving a public address. And after the address, the Jews said, this is the voice of a God and not a man. They're trying to butter him up because they want him to make decisions in their favor. And when they said, this is the voice of a God and not a man, and he didn't give praise to the true God, he was eaten by worms and he died. Herod Agrippa II's uncle and predecessor, Herod Antipas, was the one John the Baptist stood before and said, it is not lawful for you to have your brother, Philip's wife. You're an adulterer, basically, is what he's saying, in hopes that he would repent. Instead, Herod Antipas wanted to kill John the Baptist, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. But then when he's given a banquet... This relationship he's having with Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Well, the daughter of Herodias, she's a pretty good dancer. She so pleases Herod and the guests at his banquet. 
that he says to her, up to half my kingdom, whatever you want, I'll give you right now. She leans over to mom. What should I ask for? Mom says, ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter right here, right now. And Herod pressured into it, knows he has to, and he sends and has John's beheaded and his head brought into the banquet room. Back to the story, but, but let, let me just say, <laughs> Herod Agrippa's companion, Bernice, writers of history say she was stunningly beautiful. Her first husband died. She married her uncle. He later died. She and her two children from that marriage then moved in with her brother, Herod Agrippa II. And she and her two kids lived with Herod Agrippa II for 15 years. It was rumored that she and her brother were having an incestuous relationship. She got tired of the rumor, so she left. She ended up marrying King Polemon of Cilicia. That marriage didn't last, so she returned to Agrippa II. She later had an affair with a future emperor, Titus Flavius, the Roman general who in 70 AD ransacked Jerusalem. If it wasn't a true story, you would think you came to listen to a soap opera today at church. Verse 14, chapter 25, since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, there's a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them not the Roman custom to hand over anyone before they face their accusers and have the opportunity to defend themselves against the charges. So when they came here with me, I didn't delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they didn't charge him with any of the crimes I'd expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters. So I asked if he'd be willing to go to Jerusalem, stand trial there on these charges. Well, when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I'd like to hear this man myself. Well, that's exactly what Festus was hoping for. And so he replied, tomorrow you will hear him. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers, the prominent men of the city. Another brief pause. (laughs) Picture the scene. Here come Agrippa II, Bernice, and they come with great pomp. And all the most important military officials and all the most important people of the city. And they're the most important of all. He's king. Pomp is the word fantasia in the Greek. We get our English word fantasy. They're living a fantasy world. I mean, Herod, he's king, plenty of money, Bernice. I mean, they're living it up, man. They got everything the world has to offer. It's a fantasy lifestyle. They say that King Agrippa would have been arrayed in purple, big robe, crown, jewels in the crown. And Bernice, what a looker. Oh man. And she comes in and you better believe she is dressed to the hilt. Festus would have been dressed in his royal, well, governor's red but he'd have been decked out. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. 
You see the picture in your mind? Here's all this pomp. And here comes Paul, he's chained. If you read about the things he suffered, he's got scars all over his body. He tells us that. Most historians say at this point in his life, he's hunched over. And here he comes being led in and he's in chains. And from a worldly perspective, he ought to be pitied more than all men. But from a heavenly perspective, he's the hero. And he's the victor. And while he's bound by human chains, he is free. And while they are free of human chains, they are bound. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man, the whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I brought him before all of you and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it's unreasonable to send a prisoner on to Rome without specifying the charges against him. Duh. Chapter 26, then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand. He began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. And especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. And I beg you to listen patiently because it's quite a bit to read. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life in my own country, also in Jerusalem. They've known me for a long time and can testify if they're willing that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now, it's because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? And a reminder, what Paul is preaching is the gospel. He's preaching that this Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He died on a cross. He was buried. And the third day, he rose from the dead. That's what he's preaching. Verse 9, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. When they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. Paul, as Saul of Tarsus, would threaten these followers of Christ and and say, okay, you recant your faith in Christ and maybe we'll have leniency. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord, or who are you, sir? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light 
and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preached, and listen to what he preached, that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That's why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I love that part because what Paul's saying is, I'm saying this to everybody listening, not just to the king and Bernice, not just to Festus, to the servant that no doubt led him in by his chains. Everybody. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul. That's what he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. Which tells us Festus knew about Paul's educational background. He had studied under the number one Jewish teacher of the day, Gamaliel. You're insane. Reminder, verse last week, the days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. Let Israel know this because your sins are so great and your hostility. The sins so many and hostility so great. The prophet is considered a fool, inspired person, a maniac. The evangelist Charles Finney said, if you have much of the spirit of God, it is not unlikely you will be thought deranged by many. But we're in good company. You don't need to turn to the scripture. Mark chapter 3 tells us that Jesus was in a house with his disciples and the crowd gathered and the crowd was pushing in on them so much that they could not even eat. And when his family heard about this in the context of all that's happening, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said, here's what the Bible says, he's out of his mind. And that's what the world will often think of us. Paul responds to Festus's interruption. Verse 25. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. In other words, what I'm saying is open for analysis and verification. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. And then I love this next verse. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And before the king can respond, he says, I know you do. I know you do. And then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Now you heard the tone which I said that, but I'm reading it. And I put that tone there. I don't know what tone Agrippa said it in. Makes it more of a challenge when I go back to the old King James Version. Here's the old King James Version of that verse. Agrippa's response, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Is that what he was saying? I'm close. New Living Translation, though, says, do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Paul replied, verse 29, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Paul's saying, I don't wish this on any of you, but I want you to be saved like I'm saved. I want you to be forgiven. Like I'm forgiven.
Being a part of a church community is a theme we see in the book of Acts. It's important to surround yourself with people who are actively seeking Jesus in their everyday life, people who can encourage you and support you in your own walk of faith. You, in turn, get the opportunity to share your gifts and talents with your church family. If you haven't yet found a church in your area, we encourage you to find one soon. Are you in the St. Petersburg area? We'd love to have you join us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet each Saturday at 6 p.m. and again on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Each service contains Bible study, prayer, and worship of our incredible Savior. Hang out for a little while afterwards to meet some friendly faces. Don't forget to shake hands with Pastor Danny and let him know that you're a listener. Find out more about Calvary Chapel Fellowship at our website, ccfstpete.church. If you can't join us in person, we have a live stream of all of our weekend services. Just visit ccfstpete.church and click on the link in the menu. While you're at our site, you can listen to additional teachings from more books of the Bible by clicking on sermons. You'll be redirected to our YouTube channel and don't forget to subscribe. That way you'll never miss a new edition of The Living Word. You'll find the link again at our website, ccfstpete.church. That's all we have time for today on The Living Word. May God bless you as you continue to seek Him in your personal life and in your community. Join us again next time for another edition of The Living Word.